friends and welcome back to Operation Opera. Elisa here. Rachel was not with us because she was busy having a baby, so we'll let her off the hook this once. I was able to have a fascinating discussion with conductor Stephen P. Brown about the deficiencies in our education concerning the business side of performing. Enjoy. Rachel, what's up with Rachel? So Rachel's water broke, so she's just at 35 weeks, or at least that was, how long ago was that 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 happened? She's probably closer to 36 weeks now, but the baby is apparently eight, almost eight and a half pounds. So I was like, that seems like a baby that's ready to come out. (laughs) (laughs) But they have to make sure that its lungs are good. And one other thing I can't remember, but so. Okay. They're just keeping her in the hospital for now on bed rest and just trying to get the baby in until they determine it is okay for it to come out. So, um... So how are things with you? We haven't oh. caught up in a while, and things I know... are going incredibly well, thanks. So, um, and and I keep having to repost our previous session because people are they, they find it useful, they like it, and and oh, good. yeah, I get feedback every once in a while. I get a phone call from someone say, you know, um, I just wanted to explore what you're doing and how you're helping classical musicians and blah blah blah. And eventually, in the conversations, like, well, you know, how did you find me? Oh, um, I listened to Operation Opera. I'm like, woot, woot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's awesome. Yeah. How are things with well, you? Things are good. I actually, I want to kind of start out our conversation. I have some ideas about what I'd love to pick your brain about. Okay. But I wanted to start out our conversation by just sharing something that happened to me recently. I did have a wonderful Thanksgiving. I was in Arizona with family and it was warm and nice. Um, but before that, I had an experience within the opera industry of kind of being chewed up and spit out. Yeah. Oh, no. And it just, it made me think about you and it made me think about alternatives. Oh, okay. Good. With. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it went it that way. Think, right. Exactly. <laughs> so, so I had this experience and I've been, I've been feeling very philosophical since then about um, sort of my path as a musician and feeling called to do this since I was very young, like five years old. And, and then just following the path that society gave me, (laughs) you know, Mm. which was, I studied, I was, I majored in music. And then, you know, I pursued a lot of opportunities that came my way to perform and generally didn't get paid a ton for those opportunities, but was grateful for the opportunities and, and then went on to get a master's degree and did resident artist programs and young artist programs. And what I found was the opportunities were plentiful. And I think this is true. Now I I teach at a college. And so I have young people that I work with who are um, following a similar path to what I did. Um, 
the opportunities for performance are plentiful as long as you're willing to pay for them. And so right. you're becoming not only a musician and a participant in the arts, but you're also a patron of the arts. Just by wanting to perform, you are also supporting the system in which, you know, you perform. And so <laughs> you're both performer and patron at the right. same time, strangely, until you get to a certain point And it's like, well, I can't make a living doing this. I can't make a living by performing alone. And so what else am I going to do? You know, and, and I, I can't make a living by paying to perform. Oh, for sure, not that. Right. And I think that's something that's really only available to very young people, right? People who are still either living with their parents or largely supported by their parents or other people. And so they have this opportunity to kind of not work, okay, <laughs> <laughs> and take advantage of these opportunities that also cost money. So it's a very, it's, it's not a, a model that um, is sustainable, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, and, and this is my life after I, after I had this experience um, that I mentioned where I was chewed up and spit out by an opera company. Um, I then uh, went back, you know, I came home and nursed my wounds for a few weeks and then I went back to New York for an audition, you know, and here I went and, and paid, you know, I got a pretty good deal on a flight, but it was still around $300. Right. And I had a place to stay for free, which is also great. Let's just say with the amount of students I missed out on teaching while I was gone, you know, my, my other income I would have had, I, this audition probably cost me, with all my expenses, in the neighborhood five to $700 oh, for an least. opportunity that, that may ever materialize into anything that will reimburse me for that expense. Plus, um, creatively, you're just going to be doing what you're told to do in the way that you're being told to do it. So what point in being a creative is there? Thank you. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and that's the thing is like, here I am chasing after the opportunity to, you know, for a producer to want to plug me into their vision, mm -hmm. you know, of, and then I can fill what they want instead of, allowing myself the opportunity to explore the things that I'm actually really gifted at. You know, I'm, I'm kind of trying to mold my peg to be whatever shape the hole that's available needs me to be. Right. If that makes sense to use that sort of analogy about the round, round hole in the square peg. Sure. Um, I'm trying to like sand down my edges and make myself into the thing that they want rather than just um, exploring who I am, what I have to offer and, and really honing those skills and spending my time focusing on that. And that's why as a conductor, I like spending time with my performers to find out who they are as a person and an actor and just a performer in general, because my role, I see, and this is one reason why I don't fit in the establishment either, is because my role, I see it as helping these 20, 50, 100, 200 people do what they do better than they thought they could. I, you Thank know, you. I'm the guy on the, on the box waving my arms around, um, making no sound in this thing that we call music, which is nothing but sound. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I have a vision. Yes, I know what I want from the score. Yes, I know the score intimately. But the bottom line is, so do you. You know your part. Right. The cellist knows their part. All that kind of stuff. So, you know, let's just bring it together. And as long as we we have not necessarily an overall vision that's the same, but if we can 
bring what we bring to the table and present it together and make it work together, that's when it clicked. You know that moment when you get chills as you're performing? That, yeah. that, that's the moment when everyone's doing their thing in their way and, it, and it's working because yeah. that's now communicating that language of emotions that we, that we call music. And it's my role just to make sure that we can all do that in the best possible way. And yes, there are times when people don't get to do it their way. One, right. of, one of the biggest mistakes I made in the professional world was when I said to um, a section of the orchestra, I said, really, you guys want to play it that way? <laughs> Oops. <laughs> because, you know, because of the way um, the professional world works, you turn up, you, you do what you're told, and then you go home. And, yeah. and, you know, there is no creativity or thought processes involved in that. It's bang, 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 do this, and then done. Um, yeah. And the fact that I was asking somebody to, or a, a group of people to actually, is that really what you were hoping to produce? Is that really what you wanted to share with the world? Now I'm asking them to think, I'm asking them to actually contribute more than just, Feel. yeah, no, no rotation or playing just what's in front of them. And, and of course it didn't go down well. They weren't expecting that and they didn't like it. Um, but I'm not going to change that. Because so what happened me, next? Are you going to tell the rest of the story? <laughs> well, sure. I went bright red and they made, you know, they made me feel bad. And, you know, I was never booked by that group again. Um, so, you know. Oh, I yeah. thought you were going to say that they were like, oh, no, thank you for giving us this opportunity to rethink the way that we approached that. Oh, and there are plenty of people who said that. Into. People said it. But management and there are clearly people of influence within the group who said otherwise but no it did mm -hmm. we got through it and it was a it was a fine performance it was not one of my best but uh we delivered um what i considered was good value so mission accomplished yeah. but um you know I, I don't want to work with those sorts of people again i mean there, there were people who loved it and there were people who hated it right yeah well and i i had that same sort of eye-opening experience with what happened to me and it was the end of September, actually, when it happened. And I, mm. you know, I, I said to myself as well, I don't want to work with people who behave in this way. Um, and, and it's fascinating. I'm, I mean, I'm sorry that you went through that experience and, and so many people do. And there are lots of people who will go through that experience multiple times. And, and oh, it's geez. interesting because I was approaching today's conversation with, with something in mind to talk about. And then like an hour before, I was thinking, you know what? I, I've got something else on my heart that I want to share with the world, which is more important. So, and it's it directly in line with this. So it's fascinating that that happened, you know, and, and the, our paths crossed with all that kind of stuff going on. But the biggest thing that I'm picking up from, from what you shared with us about this story is that you're beginning to take ownership of your own career. Well, <laughs> it's interesting. Um, we may, and we may have touched on this in the last podcast. Um, I don't remember, but I, I have always taken ownership of a portion of my career, but I've also given that portion of my career zero credibility. <laughs> you know, do you know what I'm saying? Like, yes. I've always, I've always gotten my own gigs and I've always really enjoyed them and always been able to do whatever I wanted on them and been very well received by my audiences. And it's just been a very pleasurable experience. And in my mind, I thought, well, that was too easy <laughs> and so that can't count that. I mean, right. that these are things that I don't put on my resume. You know what I mean? These are things that aren't, you know, booked by big companies, you know, that aren't produced by, by big names. And so they just okay. kind of, 
Do you know yeah, what I'm saying? Absolutely. It's kind of like, why do you buy a big flashy car so that you can come to a red traffic light and impress the person in who's at the red traffic light next to you who you're never going to see again? You know, having that kind of stuff on your resume is just like, okay, very nice for you. But when you take ownership of everything in your career and you give it credibility, it's because you want to do what you're doing or you're right. doing what you want to do. Now that has, to me, more credibility because it's genuine. And, and it's the difference between the craft and the career. You know, we, we, as classical musicians, we have spent so much of our time and life and energy and effort and resources on becoming great craftsmen. Yes. And, and we can deliver this thing, um, be it singing, piano, cello, whatever it is that we do, we can do it amazingly well. Yes. Compared to 98% of the population on the planet, particularly. Mm -hmm. So we're experts in this, but because that's all we've done for 10, 15, 20 years, we forget, okay, well, now we need to do something different. Now we need to build a career out of this. And a career has completely different expectations and things. I mean, there are, there are right. a lot of similarities, but they are not the same thing. There are no shortcuts. We know there are no shortcuts in our craft, but for right. some peculiar reason, we think, oh, well, if I just do well, I'm going to be able to build a career out of this. Right. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and one of the issues is perfectionism. When the reason yeah. we don't give our own efforts, our own work, credibility is because we are perfectionists. And we think if it doesn't come from, quote, experts who are doing this full time out there in the, quote, real world, then it doesn't mean anything. And, and we right. want that career to look like the perfect magazine Hollywood version of a classical music career. Yeah. And, and it, it's a barrier. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, yes. I agree with everything you've said. I'm thinking, I'm just reflecting on sort of, cause your, cause your company is called, or at least some, one thing that you do is called concert university. Right. Right. And it's sort of this, the career side, right. Not yes. just the, the, the like the craft, yes, you go to conservatory and you and you learn, you train, you have teachers who mentor you and teach you how to how to hone your craft. And then I'm I'm reflecting back, you know, when I when I went to undergrad, I had already been studying for six years. And so mm -hmm. I arrived with a certain level of skill and understanding of my craft that was not shared by my peers at that point. Um, but there was never any like any talk of what we do after this it was just like we spend these four years right and we have great musical experiences all of which we are paying for right we're paying our yep. tuition we're yep. and and we're working with these you know phenomenal musicians like i worked with conductors that were fantastic and um i just had a lot of really great experiences but as far as like what we do after this i was clueless mm -hmm. I, I i left undergrad i graduated and i was like what do i do now like uh Right. And, 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 and yeah. as you say, that's concert university. That's why I set it up in the first place, because I've been helping people with their performing careers for 20 years. But, you know, in the last few years is when I kind of just formed this thing, just made it something other than just Smart. me helping one or two others. And, and the problem is because there are so many people out there who come out just like that. I would say, again, just making up a number, 98 percent of people who graduate as a music major, music performance major, have no clue of what to do next. So the natural right. occurrence is to do a master's degree. The natural occurrence is then to do a PhD. Basically, you're, you <laughs> and may- And keep paying for all your opportunities. Yes, and yes, you are absolutely <laughs> right. You will, you will get to know in intimate detail 
more about what it is that you're interested in. That's awesome. And I applaud you. Fantastic. Now what? Yeah. You're, you're yeah. delaying the inevitable that at some point you're going to have to take Pay ownership. For your own groceries. Yeah. Exactly. So, and, and the number of DMA students who call me up and, and, and ask for help because they've been out there now for a couple of years and they're, they're just floundering just like an undergrad who dropped out halfway through. It's, they're in exactly the same position, but they just know more right. stuff about their craft. So, so yes. one of the, the problems is that I, I said to one guy, I said, you know what, what, what happened? You know, what, when, you, when you were approaching the end of your doctorate, what, what was it? He said, I went to my teacher and I said, well, what do I do next? I'm graduating in two or three months and what happens next? And their teacher said to them, well, you just keep practicing. Just turn up here. We'll let you into the school. You can keep practicing. And somebody will walk past and hear you and book you. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, really? yeah. And, and, I, and I've heard this story several times. And I said, where were they when they told you that? Oh, well, they were in their teaching studio in the college. I said, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I had that thought too. Yeah. Um, yes, I don't want to cut you off, but I do want to share something about that. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Um, great. So I, I was thinking about this um, after I shared what happened to me in undergrad. And then, yeah, you said that a lot of people have had that experience. I think the reason why we're not really directed where to go um, to be a performer is because we're being advised by teachers, right? They're yeah. not performing, right? Yeah. And that's kind of what you were what you were getting at just then. So I had a different experience in my master's degree, and that was that my main mentor was um, I actually had two two voice teachers while I was there, and they both had had careers, and one was was quite ongoing. Like he was gone from the university a, a good bit of the time because of his performing career, his ongoing performing career, right. and so he definitely was priming all of us to understand what is required of us in the professional world. And of course, talking about working for opera companies. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, this was part of our opera workshop class was understanding the career, understanding, you know, getting an agent in New York. And, you know, it was, and so I, I did the things that I was taught to do, but it was always sort of working for the man, you know, it was mm -hmm. always sort of becoming an employee. I mean, even though we're not employees, you know, but essentially um, being an employee, a contractor to a company, a larger company. And that's the path. The path is that you bow down to what the <laughs> producer who has the money will pay you to do. Right. And, and that was, that was something that, I mean, I was just so happy to be singing and to be performing that I put up with all kinds, all manner of programming that was almost offensive to my artistic sensibilities, you know? Mm -hmm. But it was like, this is the opportunity that I'm being given. And some of those opportunities actually paid well, you know, because they were programs that were set up by people who didn't know much about music, but had a lot of money, mm -hmm. you know? And so, um, but, that's so, the so I did, yeah. but that's the limitations of the establishment. And, and, and I, when I say establishment, I'm, I'm talking about academia and the industry itself. Academia mm -hmm. was never designed to be vocational. It was never designed to tell people how to go get a job. It, 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 higher education was founded to, and, and it still exists, to further pursue the understanding and the skills of certain areas of human interest. That, that's what higher education is. So if anyone goes to a college or university expecting to get anything other than more understanding of what their topic is, it, it, they're fooling themselves. 
because that's that they're, they're buying the wrong thing from the wrong people so that mm. that's one issue but and as far as the industry is concerned it flipped about 30 40 years ago and and it became a monetized thing just like everything else um and all the middlemen want their cut so it, it we took mm. music out of society and we put it in these big square boxes where we call theaters and concert halls and expect everyone to come to us well of course nobody cares so you know that that's a problem <laughs> and and the the other issues with 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 this kind of further advanced degrees thing is that Yes, it's great that colleges and universities get these high-level performers who are making it in the industry to come and teach there, but that's their perspective, and that's one perspective. If they're teaching 50 people in that education, I mean, that one job that person has as a performer, that they're the, the agent or they're the, the artist that an agent has, one of probably 15 to 20 artists that they represent um that space that opportunity for what that person does isn't going to occur until that person retires so every right. year they're teaching 20 30 40 50 people to do the same thing that they're doing while they're doing it and there's mm. no room for them right and because there's no one out there who's done anything different there's no one out there showing people okay what else can I do? I mean, 20 people a year for 10, 15, 20 years, it's 400 people for each yeah. teacher. <sighs> right. So, and, and, and the other problem is that the establishment do tell you that the only two things you can do is, is sing in an opera chorus or play in an orchestra. That's it. Which is hmm. so not true. And what happens is, is that we end up doing, I mean, I mean, there are a lot of coaches out there, a lot of gurus out there who are, who are purporting the portfolio career. You do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and a little bit of something else in between. And, and one reason why so many musicians end up teaching is because that's what they've learned for the last 15, 20 years. They've been stuck in a classroom. Yes, definitely. So, so they've actually learned more about how to teach than they have about how to perform. <laughs> and, yes. and the other, yeah and and of course this is completely opposite to what all the big boys do out in the world i'm thinking about ford who who bought jaguar and they bought volvo and all these other big car companies because they, they wanted to diversify and, and do different markets and stuff you know what they did after five years they got rid of them because it's not what they do they're not specialists of that kind of market or clientele time warner mm. got rid of aol because the internet and that internet service provider is not what Time Warner are best at. Apple, hmm. you know what Steve Jobs did when he went back to Apple after getting fired the first time? He got rid of every single product and service they were doing except one. And they focused on that hmm. one. And that's all they did for the first four years that Steve Jobs was back. And then they started reinventing other products after that. People get, the successful people, super duper focus on yeah. what it is that they want to be doing if it's teaching great wonderful please do because we need teachers i wouldn't be where i am you wouldn't be where you are without good teachers true but if it's performing that you want to do then then that's what you need to go and do and and i'd love to hear from people from from your audience what you know what were the expectations that you have that you wish were not true there's a big train yeah <laughs> so you know <laughs> what what is it that that you went into doing and that you now believe are the only opportunities, the only expectations that you have that you wish were not true. Because I, right. I think if you identify that, 
we can find ways to actually say, you know what, that isn't true. There are yeah. alternatives. Yes, and it, is, it really is just a mindset that people yes. are stuck in that, that's not real. It's, it doesn't reflect reality, but it, is, it requires a lot of courage to go outside oh, yes. of this, especially when music is so close to your soul. You know, when you're, when you feel so vulnerable, um, expressing yourself through music. Um, and then of course that possibility of rejection is always there. And so it is, it is a vulnerable, and you talk about vulnerability, I know you do. Um, but it, it, it's a vulnerable sort of, um, situation that we put ourselves in. And I, I, so I teach, I have a home studio and I teach at a college uh-huh. and, um, I'm just dealing so much with my students on, on trying to raise their levels of confidence because it's true they're here in these lessons but that's not teaching them about performing right. and really the best way to learn how to perform is just to perform a lot and right. to keep performing yes right yeah um because that's where you learn about yourself and you learn about you know if you have nerves and what you need to do to to really show who you are and and what you can do and you know you figure out just the best way to approach it by doing it and by doing right. it over and over and figuring out how to how to how to work with an audience and, you know the and energy you, that, that the audience brings right and you use a fabulous word Lisa. you said it takes courage to do oh, yes. that but but not just to, to to perform um but to actually change the mindset to let go of the exactly. old way of doing things and to be coachable which is it, it's such a big thing because in in, in to be fair um what people are doing and what their expectations are is reality to them right but they don't know they don't realize they don't understand that they are stuck inside an opaque bubble right and, <laughs> <laughs> they just can't they, see all that what's out there they can't right and and to have someone come along which is what i tend to do and burst that bubble it's a shock and it and it's really really tough for people to actually to to deal with that and and when oh, you absolutely. go right and when you actually realize that your mindset it is mindset you know i was literally having a conversation with somebody this morning saying convincing me that their mindset was fine as well and you know there was nothing wrong with their mindset and that has got nothing to do with performing or music or career i'm like you know what it has everything to do with it and and absolutely because you know you're basically when you go to lessons when you go to a coach when you go to anyone who and you ask for their advice you're asking for an alternative perspective is you if you're looking for evidence of what you already know then then just keep doing what you're doing now because right. un- until you do something different un- until you actually make different decisions and take different actions you're always going to get the same outcome right so can you can you talk yes that's a, that's a true that's a significant truth that's important <laughs> to recognize um, so can you talk for a second about um, the type of self validation that is required in order for someone to branch out on their own and to consider themselves alone as a viable product and okay. to be able to approach venues and to be able to, you know, create those opportunities for themselves. Because the reason why we look to the big companies to hire us is because when they hire us, that's like they're putting out their stamp of approval on us, right? We're officially validated by this respected company. Uh, okay. Validated for whom? So that's the first for, question. For oneself. 
Well, maybe, yeah, and, and maybe As that's a performer. those other people inside the opaque bubble, which right now is becoming like 3% of the population in the US. It's that bubble is shrinking or no, it's not shrinking. The outside world is growing. So, okay, it's nice to have those credentials and, and that credibility and then and the validation, but mm-hmm. you know, are, are, is that for the people who are actually gonna pay you to perform for them? No. Right. Okay. Okay. But those are the people we hyper-focus on, right? Right. Yes. We don't care about the opinions of the general public. We want to know the opinions of the people who are respected in our industry, the people who, who have um, the clout, you know, and well, they got no. there somehow, right? No, they're the people who we give the clout to. And, and that leads me into the second part of, of your question, which is so far what most classical musicians do is they focus so much because this is all we've done throughout our education is focus on what we can do, our skill, our education, us, me, I. Nobody cares. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Okay. Nobody... Keep talking about that. I want to make sure I'm, I'm understanding exactly what the you're only, saying. The only well, We're self-focused. Totally. Yes. Thank you for saying it so succinctly and politely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's all about self. It's all about us. And that is the environment we've grown up in. People pick up, and I think I said this before, people pick up, uh, pick apart the three notes we didn't play perfectly. So, right. and they ignore the 5,000 notes that we sang perfectly well, but not perfectly. So You're saying we, the performer does that to him or herself. Because that's they all they've heard. The that's okay. all they know. That's all they've heard. You've been performing for critics your entire life, for your teachers, right. your peers, your adjudicators, yes. all that kind of stuff. So that is the environment. That is the mindset you've grown up with. You've conditioned yourself to think about. So we, everything we do in life, we pick apart. And we fail to see the stuff that we do well. But think about it this way. We, we all spend our money on things that make our life better somehow. Mm-hmm. We buy things that make our life easier, that do things for us that we don't want to do, don't know how to do, can't be bothered to do, all that kind of stuff. You know, it, it, it's why we have microwaves so that we don't have to cook, but we still get our hunger satisfied. Mm-hmm. So we spend our money on things that make our life better. What if we were to actually think about other people spending their money? What are they going to spend it on? They're going to spend it on things that make their lives better. Okay. So how do I make someone else's life better? And that is completely taking the focus off of self. You're now thinking mm. about making the world a better place. And when you define what that outcome is that you offer the world, you offer people, now they're going to start spending their money on you. Hmm. It is a 180 shift. And, yeah. it's, and it's in mindset alone. Isn't that interesting? I think that... Um... Yeah, I, I definitely spend a lot of my a lot of my time trying to help other people and trying to make other people's lives better, but uh-huh. not with my music generally. Right. I mean, I te- <laughs> I'm teaching, and I do see in answer to your question, like what makes life people's life better, or what are people willing to spend money on? Definitely, the parents of these you know high school age kids who are coming to me for voice lessons, they're willing to pay you know money, which is not a small amount of money for their kids to be in voice lessons. Mm-hmm. because you know their their kids are then getting this musical education and so i i can see them wanting to pay that but what um, you're actually doing is you're helping those performers lives 
be better because you're teaching them different ways of doing what they want to do, but they don't know how to do it yet. So that, right. so they, they could go through life thinking that they know how to sing perfectly well and they may be able to sing nicely, but is it the best that they can possibly do? Well, now they're paying someone to help them do it the best way that they could possibly do. And that includes, and this is important, when you have to let go of the old way of doing things and do things differently, make different decisions, you are buying basically an alternative perspective. When you're taking lessons, when you're getting a coach or a mentor, you're mm -hmm. basically looking for something different. And more than likely, there is going to be something behind the method and the outcomes. So you, you've really got to listen and fully understand what's going on. And, and if you're yeah. paying an expert, to actually show you a different perspective, then don't argue with them. I mean, yes, ask questions about what they're telling you, but don't argue because they've been somewhere, they've experienced something that you haven't. Yeah. Well, you know, and this is interesting. This is an interesting kind of other topic um, in a way, but um, a student of mine who I've taught, this is, I'm finishing up the third semester teaching him. When he came to me, he was just like a deer in headlights and he was just kind of brand new and hungry for learning, you know, and open and, you know, all those, he had a lot of great attributes, but he was just kind of clueless also, um, which isn't, I, mean, I don't say that as an insult. He was just young and didn't know what he was looking to do with his music. And, um, and now um, he actually, his father passed away unexpectedly um, in a car accident um, in the spring of last year when, during our second semester and over the summer he started composing mm -hmm. and he, I mean, he's, he is a completely different person now from who he was a year ago. I can imagine. Um, and when he came to me first, he was like, well, you know, I'll, I'll sing this Italian art song, you know, which is kind of like square one for most vocalists. It's like the, mm -hmm. yeah, the book of Italian art songs, like one yeah. of those. And, um, you know, and just sort of fitting his, you know, fitting the mold and, uh, and going through the motions of, of getting a, a classical singing education. And now that he, he is a beautiful lyricist and the, the lyrics just flow through him and he's, and he's learning. It, it was really his music theory class, I think, that got him wanting to compose and wanting to put chords together and, and creating these, you know, har harmony, harmonic transitions and exploring with what that could be and then a melody and then words. And so now he's just this ball of energy and <laughs> this conduit in a way. And it's, it's beautiful. But at the same time as his voice teacher, I'm like, I, I think you sound great, you know, cause it sounds like you and it, mm -hmm. this is your yep. music and it fits, Absolutely. Yes. you know? And so like, what do I, it, so it's like, if he's coming to me for something different, I don't even know what to offer him. I mean, well, sure, if there's something technically that he's struggling with, then for sure, let's talk about, let's figure out what's going on. But he doesn't seem to be struggling. Well, you know, the thing is that you helped him. So far, you've given him the tools he needs to be able to express this language of emotions. So, mm -hmm. so what you've done so far enabled him to get to this point where this tragedy happened. Now he's got all this emotion to outpour and, and he's now got the tools to do it thanks to you. So, so where do we go from here? The fact is that he is expressing this emotional turmoil or whatever it is that he's going through, even if it's peace for whatever reason, people have, you know, we all have our own emotions. What if that is what helps make people's lives better? The fact that this guy's been through this situation 
and has expressed how he processes that through his own new music what if that is what people want to experience what if people out in the world who lost a relative in a car accident don't know how to deal with it yeah and they well came and across- his music is about so much more than that but it's sort of from that that life experience that just gave him this depth i yes. mean it just it made him grow up you know suddenly you know, in a very real way, physically his father's, and so he's the oldest son and he kind of is coming into his own in so many ways. And I think that you're right that what he has to contribute, there's no doubt in my mind that it's what the world needs because it's just flowing and it's beautiful. He plays Mm -hmm. it for me and I'm like, what? Like, how did you go from (laughs) wanting to sing an Italian art song, you know, and like doing your best with the diction and whatever to creating all of this? I mean, he's writing a requiem he's writing large choral, choral works with orchestral yep. parts. Like, yep. and this, <laughs> so it's, there's no doubt. And, and I want to, I mean, this is just one of the kids that I mentor right now. And I want to, I want to help them understand how they can get their music out into the world. And it's, I, I just don't know, you know, that's, that's what I feel like concert university does. Right. It, right. it helps Absolutely. Music, so- musicians understand how to get their music out into the world. Other than exactly. the, the traditional vehicles of large companies, orchestras. Exactly. And- that, that's, that's, you know, I, I had the same issue myself um, with, when I was a, a, a young performer out of college was how do I actually earn a living as a performer speaking this language? I'm an expert in this music thing. How do I uh, earn a living at it? And, and I really, when I stopped thinking about me, when I stopped thinking about what I want and what I've experienced and I started putting out there what, asking people what they want, um, to see what people were going through that's when it started to click and that's when I started making sales is when I was offering something that other people wanted to experience so and and the other thing is that the the practicalities of the world right now is that to find an an orchestra and a chorus or whatever uh, ensemble that a requiem is being written for it's it's not gonna happen overnight unless you are loaded with money it's not gonna happen right what you've got to do, and this is what Concert University teaches people, is that we actually take music to where people are in small intimate environments where you can connect. The performer can connect with the, with the mm-hmm. audience who have probably never experienced anything like this before. So, so right. we find venues, we, we get the audience in there, small intimate audience where you can see the whites of their eyes and maybe do it in a, in a U-shape or a, a horseshoe shape or something. You, you talk and explain the stories, you do your performing, you get people feeling. And then the fourth step of the captivating concert system, the, I mean, the, the concert university is basically uh, the system that I created for myself. It's a very simple system, but like everything in music, it's not easy. People confuse simple with easy. Um, mm-hmm. it, it requires hard work, just like practicing. But, the, but everyone forgets, the, we start and with courage, the venues. probably. Oh, yeah. Well, the mindset issue, and, and it's interesting that that's come about right now because a, a courage thing is, um, is something that I'm actually trying to put together right now to help people with. Uh, it is a whole module or program about that mindset and that courage. But the, the captivating concert system is, is starts with the venues. It goes to supplemental marketing. Then it goes to the performance, and it's got to be stunning in so many different ways. And then everyone forgets the last step follow-up what what do you do after the concert and musicians are never taught about anything 
after the concert. And that is where your, your, your money basically is, is in that follow-up with the venue, with the audience, with all sorts of things. So if you start small, you build your relationships with your audience. After a while, it takes time and it is hard work. After a while, you suddenly have an email list of 5,000 people. Yeah. Well, you know what? If you were to then put on, if you were to spend some money out of the money that you've been making as a recitalist and you hire a hall and you hire a 16-piece choir and a 30-piece orchestra, you know what? Out of 5,000 people, you actually may get 500 turning up and paying you 60 bucks a ticket. Right. But it's not going to happen. And, and we see this big thing. We see in the, in the industry that that's the, the ultimate. That's what we're aiming for. And we, that's what we charge towards at the outset. And all we do is spend, spend, spend. We hire halls. We hire performers. And before you know it, and this is what I did, Elisa. This is how I got myself mm -hmm. into trouble as a 20-year-old. I mean, I bought a house when I was 22 years old because I was earning so much. And then it disappeared really quickly because oh. I was paying my own way as a performer. Mm. And then when I, when I came up with the captivating concert system, it all came flowing back three times what I was earning before when I graduated college. Oh, great. So, so it, it's, you know, it, it starts small, let go of the, the old way of doing things, those big grand expectations. Yes. Well, and, and this particular student of mine um, who started composing, he started with songs and they're just brilliant little songs that are, you know, he accompanies himself on the piano and, oh, and sings. Perfect. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's great for that, for the small venues. It's, oh, and and he, has, will... he probably has 50 songs at this point. Oh my goodness, that's so much repertoire. And what I will say is if he can rearrange those for guitar or harp or marimba um, rather mm -hmm. than piano, then he's got a lot more opportunity. Oh, as far as um, for venues that don't have pianos. Right. Yeah. Mm. I mean, people, people yeah. are so uninterested in pianos anymore, they can't even give them away. Really? Yeah. Oh, I love, I love pianos. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, no wonder piano stores are going out of business left, right and center because people just, they want the keyboards now. But, but the thing oh. is that, that when you go, if you graduate or you look online for help, you've got to be very, very careful who you trust because a lot of the, the vast majority of music career people out there are not helping you perform more. Hmm. What it, it, you know, you find music career advice, earn and you know a certain amount of money, do all this kind of stuff, and have a wonderful music career. Most of them are either focused on building a social uh, media personality, which means you're mm. going to be spending six hours of your day online. Mm. A lot of them are, are showing you tech, new technologies that you have to learn, so you can create tracks and loops and video and all this kind of stuff, so that you can sell on Spotify and put on Amazon uh -huh. Prime and all this kind of stuff. So you're not performing there either. Um, mm. There are a lot of gurus out there who are showing you how to teach. And of course, that's the environment we're most comfortable with. That's why we end up doing it. And, yeah. and you know, there, there's some guy who recently came into the music industry from outside. He had absolutely no relationship with the music industry. And I'm not just talking classical. I'm talking, in, you know, completely. Um, for some peculiar reason, he lost his job. He decided to go and he found a job in the music industry and he decided that it wasn't working and he came up with his own system. Well, what he's actually showing people what to do is his system in order for him to be their manager. Oh, <laughs> well, that is clever. 
It is. It's it's awesome. Good for him. And if you for read him, it, yeah. If you if you go all the way down his text and stuff, you see at the bottom there. If, you know, if you go through some of his initial program and you see if you're interested in me helping you do this on a on a more regular basis, um, you know, and 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 his conditions and terms and conditions are, are all in there and stuff. And I'm like, whoa, well that's awesome to get everyone on the same page, thinking like you, and then you can represent them. No wonder you want to do this. But it's not helping huh. people perform. That's that's the social media is laying down tracks and doing tons and tons of offline work. Now, Consult University, yes, there is a lot of phone work because you've got mm-hmm. to you've got to build relationships with people. There is email work. Yeah. But the but the ultimate aim is to get you performing regularly, and I'm talking two to three times, if not more, a week. Hmm. Great. Yeah. I love that. Um... And I, and I agree with you when I think about the, the way that the world is heading with the internet right now, I, I understand that it's, it's, it can be great. It's a great tool in many yeah. ways. And there's nothing but wrong I also, with it. What was that? There's yeah, nothing there's, wrong exactly. With it. But I do, I do love to, like, I don't believe in doing lessons over Skype. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to be in person. I like to have personal contact. And especially when it comes to, like this smaller venue idea and, and really connecting with people and building a fan base on out of people that you've actually interacted with personally. Mm-hmm. I think that's really, really wonderful. And that is kind of along the lines of what you were saying earlier. Yeah. Like the, how the, do, how do we make people's lives better? And right. it's definitely through connection and music, you know, those things are but definitely life affirming. Yeah. And the one thing I did finally, sir, is that you've got to get the approach right. When you, it all starts with the venue and, and when you approach the venue, if you don't get that approach right, none of the rest matters. It doesn't matter how good or not good you are. Um, I was talking to somebody who um, was, was a fabulous conservatory trained uh, musician like I was, but, but they've spent the last 10, 15 years or whatever um, growing their family and they've barely touched their instrument. Mm-hmm. And and now they're because the perfectionism of their youth when they were in that world has just risen to the top. They they the courage to go out there and perform whatever is not there, and and it's mm-hmm. it's holding her back so much because yeah. they're, they're refusing to believe that ninety five percent of the pop. I mean, if you if you go to a small venue and you've got fifty people there, how many of them are going to be a professional? soprano or a professional oboe probably player. none right none maybe so, one so <laughs> so walking into the room you're already the expert just being there yes and yes. you could pay twinkle twinkle little star and they will love you for it yeah because of the way that you play <laughs> now if if like my wife she just picked she's a singer herself um music uh, stage musicals um broadway stuff and and so she mm-hmm. can read and all that kind of thing but last year you know, midlife crisis at 40 years old, she decided she's going to play the cello. Oh, I know. Right. Why not? Right. <laughs> okay. So, so we well, apparently it was a 20 year passion that she never, never told anyone about. So we went out and we bought a cello. She started taking lessons. Now, if she played twinkle, twinkle, little star for you, you, you would think I want my money back. You know, no, <laughs> no offense to anyone, but clearly this person is not an expert. Strings are rough in the beginning, really rough. <laughs> they, they, they can be. But someone who has been doing this for 20, 30 years can play the same piece of music in such a, a meaningful way where they deliver whatever outcome it is that they're delivering to the audience. Then, right. I mean, I, I've been in situations where I've performed for people and charged them a nice, 
hefty ticket, base ticket price, and asked for donations. Not for any particular cause, but if you really liked what you did today, you know what? On your way out, would you put a little bit more in there just to let me know that you thought this was worth it? Oh. And they, they've already paid a high price, but because I had such a, a big effect, I know what my outcome is. I know what I'm delivering. I know how I'm making these people's lives better. And I do my utmost to do that. And on top of that, because I'm an expert in my craft, I can deliver. That's a great idea because there is sort of this high after a concert that's gone really well. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's good to, it's to, good to kind of, um, yeah, cash in yeah. on that, <laughs> so to speak. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, right in the moment. Um, I wanted to ask you, I'm, I'm getting ready to do um, a couple of messiahs uh, tomorrow night and the following night. <laughs> I'm sorry to Why interrupt. Why are you laughing? Oh my goodness. All right. I, I actually like the messiah, but get this, okay? Between November and April, because you know it's an Easter piece, right? It's not a Christmas yes. piece. Okay. So between November and April, one season, I played the timpani part, I sang in the chorus, or I conducted it 22 times. Wow. <laughs> I, I had a feeling that you would be familiar with this yes. work. I didn't know how intimately familiar you would be oh, with it. And I'm the kind of guy who doesn't sit there with a the newspaper when I'm, because the timpani is only the beginning, the middle, and the end. You know, most of the three and a half hours, he's just sitting there doing nothing. And most people read a newspaper or a book. I actually sit there with the score because I'm just that kind of a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's great. Well, um, so, so I would just love to hear from you about, um, you know, we can talk about Messiah or some of the other standard choral works that are just done over and over and over again, or we can talk about some of the things that you've done that are different, that are sort of more exploratory or new. And just if you wouldn't mind just sharing some of your concert highlights. From, from whenever, from a long time ago, from recent years, whatever you, you feel like sharing. I think well, that- Well, let's start with yeah. Messiah because uh, although I did it that many times, 22 times in one season, and that was a long time ago when I, when I didn't mind and I was still just so green and learning about life, the universe and everything, I just absorbed every moment I could. Um, but, but here's the switch that I had later in life. All 22 of those performances should have had my utmost best possible um, delivery of whatever outcome it is that I'm, I'm giving to the audience, whether I was singing, mm -hmm. playing, or conducting. And the reason is this, there is somebody in that audience who's never heard it before. Hmm. There is one person, and they could be 70 years old, they could be 70 years old, who has never experienced Messiah live, and they don't know what it's about. They don't know how it makes them feel. They don't right. know why half the audience stands when they get to the Hallelujah chorus. Yeah. You know, it, 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 this is brand new to somebody somewhere. And that one person, you have no idea what impact you're going to have on their lives. And I've had this experience in more recent years where somebody has come up to me and they said how wonderful it was and how excited you could tell, you could see it in their face and they, you know, break my hand shaking it so vigorously that, that it, it's marvelous to do that. They come back to the next concert. Oh my goodness, I zero in on that person. Thank you for coming back. That was so awesome. And then before you know it, they become a patron. How can we help yeah. you, they say. What can, we, what can we do to help you do this more? Because more people need to know about this. So yeah. you have no idea what impact you're going to have. So every single performance, even if it's um, Silver Bells, 
for the for the 50th time or sleigh ride let's go with sleigh ride oh my goodness instrumentalists love sleigh ride not um so, <laughs> <laughs> so yes so if we go down the sleigh ride route and and there was one group i said how many other groups are you guys performing this with this this season and they're like seven eight twelve I'm like, good job we're not doing it this season, right? So, <laughs> so it doesn't matter how many times you do it. For somebody somewhere, it's going to be their first time. Yeah. The, the other thing is that when you repeat this stuff over and over again, um, you appeal to the opposite end of the spectrum, the people who are looking for something nostalgic, something familiar, something they can hone in on, that, that they feel a loyalty to you. And this is part of the follow-up thing where they can identify, you know what, when Stephen P. Brown does this particular concert in this particular venue and it's that particular theme, I know I'm going to hear something great. And I always give them something that they've heard before because now okay. they, they, they feel that sense of familiarity. And, and although everything else may be brand new to them, um, there, there's that one thing that says, ah, you know, I know this. Yeah. Yes. People love that. They love to connect with, with familiar yes. things for sure. That's why, that's why Twinkle Twinkle Little Star works so well. Yeah. Is that one of your go-tos? You know what? I've, I've said that to many, many of my students and I've actually had two students try to call me out on it and say, you're ridiculous. You're full of whatever, hot air. And, and they went ahead and programmed it in their recitals, both of them, mm -hmm. completely independently called me on the same day as the recital and said oh my goodness that was the best piece on the program it's Mozart <laughs> after all come on well, he was well, kind of that. a genius there is that <laughs> but, but everyone was humming along if, if not out loud it's nostalgic it brings back times of innocent youth all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. and yet it's being performed Simple. in such a beautiful way that they could never hope to do it themselves that way right wonderful oh, so exciting oh. well um I would love to hear any any additional thoughts or any parting thoughts that you have. I don't want to keep you too long, but it has been such a pleasure to talk with you as always. I, I expect nothing less from you. So, <laughs> yes. So I'm, the, bar, yes. the bar is high, is it? Uh oh, okay. Well, um, yeah, we, we it, you know, it's lovely to speak with you again, Elisa, and, and, you know, I wish Rachel well, and, and I hope that we can, uh, the three Thank of us you. can get together again and, and talk soon. But, yes. but just be careful about who you trust. You know, just, just look out for who it is that you're going to um, put, put your thoughts into as to what yeah. they know and what they've experienced. You know, what matters to them? Is it your growth, your progress? Um, you know, are you a good fit? If, if, if you want to, to study with them, if you want them to coach you or teach you or anything like that, or even work with them, do right. you get along? You know, the, the, yeah, credentials are great and all that kind of stuff, but that doesn't actually mean anything. And, and the other thing is testimonials. People always want testimonials. What, what, are, what are the credentials? Who have they worked with? Who's been a success? That means nothing hmm. because everyone applies things differently. The only person who can make a difference in your world is you. No matter who hmm. teaches you, no matter what mentors you have, you're the only person who can make a difference. And, and, you know, it doesn't matter what happens with other people and what they do with other people. So, yeah, it's nice to have testimonials. And I have tons for Consulate University, but they don't matter because it's up to you. It's your choice. Um, you know, right. are we going to fill the gaps up where you are right now? Start where you are now and just work with where you're at. Yes. Then, you know, do these people have their own coaches? Do they have their own teachers? Are they doing what it is that they're, they're trying to do themselves? Are they trying to better yeah. themselves? 
you know, and what makes them different, all those sorts of things. So, you know, wh whoever you work with, be it as a performer, as a mentor yourself or a mentee, um, just, you know, just be careful about who it is because there are a lot of people out there who haven't done what you're trying to do. And, and they yeah. are using the modern technologies and the modern social media thing to actually make a buck. They're not helping you actually get on stage and perform. And that's what Concert University is about. Right, right. So thanks for that. Yes, absolutely. And I, I wanted to just say one more thing too about what you were saying with your Messiah and those 22 performances in the one season. Um, and to me, it kind of boils down to commitment, right? As a musician, um, deciding that, because um, we talked about this earlier too, this sort of idea of dialing it in and just sort of going through the motions of, of making music. Um, and I think the difference is, and I'll try to take your advice um, as I do these messiahs this yeah. weekend, is to really commit to, to doing my best and to making it, making it special because there may be someone out there who's never heard Messiah before. And, um, and, uh, and I want them to hear it in, in the best possible way, at least Com my, my portion of it. <laughs> Commitment is something that Western society is struggling with right now as a whole. Mm. This is, this is why nobody buys tickets in advance because they're, they, we refuse to commit to anything long-term. So I'm so pleased you, you identified that and you're going to commit to that this weekend. That's terrific. I'm so excited. Yes, I am too. Awesome. Well, wonderful as always to chat with you, Stephen, and we will be in touch because I think, you know, we should just do these periodically. We'll, oh, we'll be thinking be of questions for you. And then once we have a sufficiently long list, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll ring you again. <laughs> that sounds like a plan. It's been an absolute pleasure, Elisa. You take care of yourself now. Wonderful. Thank you. You too, Stephen. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.